We meet today in Galatians chapter 5. Today we are going to look at verse 1 to verse 4. We're talking about sanctification by the Spirit, saved by faith and living by the law, perpetrates falling from grace. Chapter 5 brings us to the third major division in the Galatian letter, after the introduction. The first section was personal, and it was important for us to know the personal experience Paul had had. Following this was the doctrinal section of justification by faith, in which Paul insisted that our salvation must rest upon God's salvation and that there is only one gospel. We now come to the practical side, the third division, which is sanctification by the Spirit. Justification is by faith. Sanctification is by the Spirit of God. Now, Scripture tells us, however, that the Lord Jesus Christ has been made to us sanctification. That is, God sees us complete in Christ Jesus. Regardless of how good you become, you will never meet God's standards. You will never be like Christ in this life. Christ is the only one about whom God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 3 verse 17, Thus we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ has been made our righteousness, our sanctification. But the body of believers, the church, has been put in Christ Jesus. He is the head of that body. Those of us who are believers are his body in the world today. And we should represent him, by the way. The method of sanctification is by the Spirit. In this section, we see the Spirit versus the flesh. Either it is a do-it-yourself Christian life or somebody else will have to do it through you. God's method is to do it through you. Paul's application of the Genesis account of Sarai and Hagar exposed the real danger facing the Galatians. They were on the brink of losing their freedom in Christ. Paul expressed dismay at the report that though the Galatians had been growing in their faith, they were being influenced by those around them trying to destroy God's grace in them. So in this passage that we are looking at, Paul had two objectives as he writes. The first one was to expose what would actually happen if the Galatians returned to the slavery of the law. And secondly, he wrote, confronting the Judaizers with the fruitlessness of their system. Their system had not produced fruit. In this section, we see freedom versus slavery. Freedom is the prevailing cry of the world today. The overwhelming preoccupation of individuals and nations. Yet even though scripture speaks of a liberty of freedom that Christ offers in Galatians 5 verse 1 all the way to verse 12. Some people resist Christianity as itself 
an obstacle to freedom. Is this view of the faith justified? Well, on the face or on the surface of it, it seems strange to identify Christianity as an enemy of freedom. After all, Christians have historically stood up for the poor, the oppressed, the captive, and the underprivileged. Likewise, liberation from ignorance, disease, and political oppression have invariably resulted wherever Christian faith and principles have been adopted. Why then would some view the faith as repressive? Well, perhaps part of the answer lies in the problem of legalism. Whenever Christianity is made into a list of do's and don'ts, it becomes intolerant and restrictive. Instead of enjoying an intimate relationship with a loving God, the legalist is obsessed with rules and regulations as if God were a celestial policeman just waiting to catch us out of line, you see. To be sure, Christ does make demands on us that sometimes limit our autonomy. But a true Christianity sees this as part of our relationship based on love and grace, not unlike a healthy marriage in which both partners sometimes sacrifice their own desires in order to serve the other partner. But even if there were no legalists, many people would still resist Christianity anyway because they resist any standards that would place absolute claims on them. Earlier on, Paul had even indicated that the bond woman's child began to persecute the free woman's child. You see, the natural person will always persecute the spiritual person. The things of the world will never welcome even the message of the gospel. People don't like anything that places any claim on them. To them, freedom means pure autonomy, the right to do whatever they want, with whoever they want, whenever they want, however they want it, with no accountability to anyone else. Is that freedom? I have come to understand freedom as the ability to behave as we ought to. God certainly created us in a way that we should be, to do exactly what we were created to do. When we behave that way, then that is freedom. But surely, even when you see people who do not want to be accountable, it actually leads us to irresponsibility and license rather than freedom. Nor do people really live that way. Sooner or later, they choose one course of action or another based on some set of values. In other words, they surrender their will to standards, whether good or bad, and act accordingly. So it is not just the values of Christianity that stifle personal freedom, but values in general. So anyone who would stand and say Christianity represses freedom is actually misinformed. The real question, of course, is what kind of people are we? What is our character? Christians try to mold their character after the pattern of Jesus Christ. He was the most liberated man who ever lived. 
his ultimate standard of behavior was what does my father want me to do john chapter 8 verse 29 did that code stifle his freedom hardly he was utterly free of covetousness free of hypocrisy free of fear of others and every other vice yet at the same time he was free to be himself free to tell the truth free to love people with warmth and purity and free to surrender his life for others that is freedom that is genuine freedom true christian freedom now is christ-like freedom there is no limit there is no hint of legalism about it it accepts absolute moral standards that are well known and well proven and it takes its inspiration from the most liberated human being who ever lived and it is from jesus christ of nazareth jesus christ of nazareth paul talks about the fact that we were saved by grace saved by faith and living by law actually perpetrates falling from grace if we will try to live by the law it multiplies chances of you falling from grace. So we must concentrate on faith. We must concentrate on faith. So Paul begins on a note of liberty which we have in Christ. It is a wonderful starting point for him. His subject in these first 15 verses, so to say, is saved by faith and living by the law perpetrates falling from grace the whole subject that you will introduce in the first four verses we are looking at today will actually end with verse 15 he is dealing with this subject of us being saved by faith and to point out that if we live by the law we multiply our chances of falling from grace in fact it makes us fall from grace now, this is what it means to fall from grace. You are saved by faith. Then you drop down to a low level to live. We will see this illustrated as we move into this section. What does it mean to fall from grace? So, the point that Paul begins his subject is an interesting one here. Galatians 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast, therefore. Therefore is a very important word because it is building upon the truth that has been talked about. You see, Christ has given us freedom. Christ has freed us. Instead of going to follow, to live the life of the bond woman's son, we must live the life of a free woman's son because there is this freedom that has been given. And because of it, he says, stand fast. Paul wants the Galatians to stand fast, that is to retain their spiritual freedom. He is saying here that not only are we saved by faith rather than by law, 
But law is not to be the rule of life for the child of God. We are not to live by the law at all. The law principle is not the rule for Christian living. Paul is saying that since we have been saved by grace, we are to continue on in this way of living. You can't be on a higher plane and then drop to a lower plane. Grace supplies the indwelling and the filling of the Spirit to enable us to live on a higher plane than law demanded. This all is our portion when we trust Christ Jesus as our Savior. It is in Christ that we receive everything, salvation and sanctification. We have a freedom in Christ. He does not put us under some little legal system. We do not use the Ten Commandments as a law of life. And now I don't mean to break the Ten Commandments. I think we will all understand that breaking most of the Ten Commandments, for example, if it says you shall not murder, you shall not steal, etc. If you break any of those, that would lead you to be arrested by the law enforcement authorities and you will be behind bars. Certainly, Christians do not break the Ten Commandments, but we are called to a higher level of life, my friend. That level is where there is a freedom in Christ. I have liberty in Jesus Christ, and that freedom is not a rule but a principle. It is that I am to please him. My conduct should be to please Jesus Christ, not to please you, not to please any organization, but only to please Christ, for ultimately I am accountable to him. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Galatians 5 verse 2 Now, circumcision was the external rite symbolizing acceptance of the law. In such a case, one dependent on legal works rather than on God's grace as the means of salvation. Paul introduces a statement that says, Christ then will profit you nothing. Now, you see, circumcision was the badge of the law. A badge indicates to what organization or lodge you belong. Perhaps Christians should wear a badge because that is about the only way you could tell that some people are actually Christians, because some you will not even know. However, Paul is saying we have a better badge. He says that if you so much as put on the badge of the law, which is circumcision, then Christ will profit you nothing. Profit to you nothing. I want you to notice something carefully here. If you trust Christ plus something else, you are not saved. If you go so far as to be circumcised, which is the only badge of the law, or if you go through some other experience and rest your salvation on that, Christ profits you nothing. That is a straightforward confrontation here as the Apostle Paul speaks. The way Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaffer puts it, is an interesting one. He says, I want to so trust Christ that when I come into his presence and he asks me, why are you here? 
I can say, I am here because I trusted you as my savior. If he asked me, well, that is commendable, but what have you done? I happen to know that you were president of a seminary, that you were baptized, you were also a member of a church, you did many fine things during the ministry, then I would reply, it's all true, I did all these things, but I never trusted in any of it for salvation. I trusted only you, my Lord. These are words from an, a wise teacher of the word of God. That is the way you and I ought to trust Christ. We need to trust Christ even though we will do the things that are required by the law. Even if we will do good works, we don't trust those for our salvation. Paul makes it very strong when he says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. If you trust anything other than Christ, you are not a child of God. You are not a Christian. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Galatians 5 verse 3. What Paul is saying here is you cannot draw out of the law just those things that you like. You cannot leave out the penalties and a great deal of the details. You must take the whole law or you don't take it. Don't just go for the things you like. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4. Now this verse does not affirm the possibility of losing of salvation. If the Galatians seek to be justified by the keeping of the law, they will have abandoned the sphere of God's grace wherein salvation is experienced and enjoyed. An attempt to be justified by the law moves a man away from God and even his grace. That's what the apostle is saying here. If you have been saved by trusting Christ, then go down to the low level of living by the law you have fallen from grace. This is what falling from grace actually means. It is not falling into some open sin or careless conduct or by doing, uh, forfeiting your salvation and by so doing, forfeiting your salvation so that you have to be saved all over again. It has no reference to that at all. Now, there are two mighty works of God which stand between the man and his fallen condition and man in his service to God. These are salvation and sanctification. These are God's work. Salvation is a mighty work only by God. Sanctification is a mighty work only by God. As we have seen, salvation is justification by faith. That is all important. Sanctification means that after you are saved, you are to come up to a new plane of living, a new level of living. I think the greatest fallacy is actually to believe that service is essential in the Christian life, that you must get busy immediately. The early church was more concerned with its manner of life 
and that life was a witness to the world. Today the outside world is looking at the church and passing it by because we are busy as busy as termites, but we do not have the lives to back up our witness. Rather than concentrating on trying to do good, we ought to live good. If we are pleasing Christ, we will be doing good also. I think there is more about sanctification in the epistle to the Romans and to the Galatians than anywhere else. Now, how does God make a saved sinner good? He gives him a new nature. Then he is to keep the law. Oh no, emphatically no, no. This doesn't mean that he is to break the law either, but he is called to live on a higher level. There is no good in the old nature. Paul found that out, and he also found out from very experience that there is no power in the new nature. As to salvation, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Romans 7 verse 18 And he cries out as a saved man now, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7 verse 24 You see, Paul is not afraid that he is going to lose his salvation, but he is a defeated Christian, and God gives a new principle. We will find this, we will find in this chapter, that the new principle is the fruit of the Spirit. The new principle that God gives is the fruit of the Spirit. Living the Christian life by this method for some Christians is as far-fetched as living on the moon. They never expected to live there. Perhaps they have never even heard about the possibility. My friend, this is the life God wants us to live, to live by faith. We are saved by grace and we are to live by grace. Nothing more, nothing less. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.